Hey there, listener. Do you have something to say? Then you're already a podcaster. You just don't know it yet. Whether you love to shoot the breeze with friends, have an urge to share your passions with the world, or even want to grow your business, you've got something worth saying with a podcast. With Acast, it couldn't be easier to start your own show. Launch, grow, and make money from your podcast across all listening platforms. If you have something to say, you're a podcaster. Head over to Acast.com to get started for free. This is Salt and Spine. We hope that when people read this book, they feel like they have new, two new friends, and we really want them to get a true understanding of our, our character. Hi there, Brian Hogan-Stewart, host of Salt and Spine here. This is part one of our special two-part episode on Food Between Friends, the new cookbook by actor Jesse Tyler Ferguson and food writer Julie Tannis. Start here with our chat with Jesse, and then tune in and listen to our conversation with Julie on the next episode that you'll see in your podcast queue. Now, you likely know Jesse from his work as an actor, most notably playing Mitchell Pritchett on the long-running sitcom Modern Family. But before Jesse found success as an actor, he was a redheaded kid growing up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where he writes, Hatch Green Chilies are more popular than Breaking Bad, and Red Chili Sauce runs like the New Mexican version of the Sen. In this episode, I talk with Jesse about what's drawn him to cooking throughout his life, how his friendship with food writer Julie Tannis formed and exploded into a full-blown collaboration and cookbook deal, and how they balanced their narratives to create a cookbook that's built on both of their personal stories and the idea of cooking with friends. Plus, of course, we put Jesse to the culinary test in our weekly game, and we have featured recipes from Food Between Friends for you to make at home. So let's jump right into our conversation with Food Between Friends co-author Jesse Tyler Ferguson. And when you're done, then hop right into part two. That's the next one in your podcast queue as we sit down with Jesse's co-author, Julie Tannis. Here's my chat with Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Hi, Jesse. Thank you so much for joining us on Salt and Spine. Thanks for having me. Yes, we're thrilled to have you uh, to talk to you and also to talk to Julie separately um, about your joint cookbook that you just published. Congratulations, Food Between Friends. It's beautiful. Thank you so much. We're really proud of it. And I can't wait to talk about the cookbook, but I want to talk a little bit about you first and sort of your relationship to food and how you sort of came to where you are now as a a now first-time cookbook author. So you grew up in New Mexico, right? Can you tell us a little bit about the role that food played in your life as a kid? Yeah, um, my mom was a working mom, so she cooked for us a lot, but it was nothing super fancy, a lot of casseroles with cream of mushroom soup poured over the top uh, that lasts us a few days. Uh, she's delicious. I mean, not everything she made for us was delicious, but she certainly wouldn't call herself, you know, a wizard in the kitchen. And I, you know, we growing up in New Mexico, we would eat out a lot. And I was sort of raised on hatch green chilies and, you know, green chili chicken enchiladas and tacos and salsas and spice. I was definitely yeah. a fan of spice. So I actually worked at a, a, um, a very famous restaurant in Albuquerque called Sadie's. And uh-huh. uh, I would, you know, my staff meal every day was included some sort of green chili on it. And uh, it was it was what I was raised on is what I think about when I, I think of home. So that was sort of my I, I was a single lane um, eater when I was a kid. Uh, okay. You know, I, I did not venture out and try new things. It wasn't until I moved to New York and 
you know, it's, which is such a great culinary city that I was able to discover Indian food and, you know, eat sushi for the first time and definitely came out of my comfort zone eating Thai food for the first time. And so that sort of is where I really developed my sense of self when it comes to eating was when I, when I moved to New York. And you moved to New York as a teenager. Is that right? Yeah. I I left Albuquerque when I was 17 um, in September and I turned 18 the month after. So I wasn't even legal. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And at that point, you're experiencing everything New York City has to offer from a culinary perspective, also from other perspectives, I'm sure. But you weren't actively cooking, right? At that point? Is that correct? No, I had very, very tiny kitchens. Um, yeah, I, I never had an, uh, an apartment in New York that had a, a large kitchen or anything you know, bigger than a closet, really. So I, I never, I never cooked for myself. If it was, if I did cook for myself, it was like heating up a lean cuisine in the microwave. Right. Yes. Um, which was inexpensive and delicious and uh-huh. assumed somewhat nutritious. It, the word lean was in the title, so it couldn't have been that bad for me. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but uh, after I moved to LA, uh, I finally had a house with like a proper size kitchen and I started cooking for myself more. And uh, that's sort of where I, became more ambitious. I started cooking, uh, collecting cookbooks and using those as, as sort of encyclopedias on like how to, to, you know, get around the kitchen. And I kind of taught myself some basic skills and, and just started to, to make food for myself and for my friends. And was that because the kitchens that you were living in were not very big in New York City? Because you write in the book that it was always, you say, it was always a dream of mine to go to culinary school. But I had this thing called a full-time job. And that job was something I not only loved, but was actually good at. So it was an interest of yours, food and cooking. It just wasn't something you did a lot of. Is that fair? Yeah, I was always very interested in eating. I was also, when I was living in New York, I was a theater actor and for at least the first six, seven years I was in New York, I was, you know, poor. So I wasn't, right. I, I, I wasn't going out that much and eating terribly interesting food. But it honestly, after I moved to LA and I started cooking for myself, I started thinking, you know, I would drive by a culinary institute on, on Sunset and I always thought about, you know, well, well, what if, you know, if I ever have a free summer or something, maybe I'll take a few classes there or, if I, you know, find myself with no work for a while, I can maybe put myself to culinary school. So it's always something that I, I wanted to do. But it was really after I moved to LA that I even thought that to be a possibility. Yeah. And so you start cooking more, it becomes sort of a hobby of yours. And then you and Julie, your co-author, end up meeting um, in this sort of like meet cute moment at a dinner party. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. We met at a, a dinner party called the Spring Street Social Society, which was an interactive dinner party. Um, with like games and music and, you know, you'd roam around the room and go to different stations. And uh-huh. um, as fun as that might sound to some people, it was not, <laughs> not my jam. Uh, yeah. So I, I was hesitant to go to this, this party and I'm sure Julie will tell her side of the story, but I sat myself near an exit and uh-huh. I had buffers around me. Justin, my husband sat to my right, our friend Todd sat across from him. And then I had an empty chair in front of me and sure enough, right before dinner started, Julie, who is also slow as molasses at all times. She's always the last one to sit down, always the last one to leave a party. Anyway, she was the last one to sit down here. And she, the only chair available in the entire room was the chair across the way from me. So she sat into it. And again, it was called the Spring Street Social Society. And she said to me, my name's Julie and I'm having Spring Street social anxiety. (laughs) That's hilarious. And she could stay. 
And we ended up having a really nice time and we ended up staying a lot longer than we thought we would at this party. And my friend Patrick, who throws the party, he's, I, I sent him the book and part of me is nervous. It's like, because I've been sort of, you know, shit talking his, his <laughs> dinner party, but it did its purpose. It introduced us. So, you know, I guess the joke's on me. Yeah. And, and you became fast friends to the point that like you started cooking together right away, which is not how a lot of friendships are formed. And and I mean, cooking together is somewhat of an intimate thing, right? Like there's, I don't cook with a lot of friend, people that I've been friends with for a long time. Um, and that was really the basis of your friendship. Did yeah. it just sort of happen really that naturally? Once I learned that Julie had gone to culinary school and was a recipe developer, I basically forced her to be my, my free tutor uh, uh-huh. in the kitchen. Because there was stuff that I was really interested in and I wanted to learn. So I, I asked her if she would come over and we could like make a few things together and she could just sort of teach me some things. And then from that, we started cooking more together. And um, we had an early idea for a cookbook that I took my agents that we ended up not, not doing. Um, my agent was wild. It was wildly obvious that Julie and I were new friends. And she suggested that we, we go into the kitchen and cook together and sort of develop a relationship further so she it was on her suggestion and we actually started actively cooking more together yeah and and started a blog right right so we always we we would post things on instagram and people would ask for the recipes so we started a blog to sort of direct people to you know a place where we house all of our recipes and stuff we're working on and from that that's when clarkson potter a few years later caught wind of it and uh i don't know honestly like the blog is good it's really good there's like a lot of great stuff on there but it's not great. I mean, we were just doing it ourselves. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of sure. a miracle that Clarkson Potter, our publishing house, uh, saw it and thought that that would, that was enough. To, they'd seen enough from that to like know that we could write, write a really interesting cookbook together. And the concept from the very beginning, it sounds like, was that it would be a, a book about you and Julie and your friendship and cooking together. I mean, I think a lot of celebrities say, I want to write a cookbook and they get it done, whether it's ends up being a great cookbook or not. But that was really the premise was it was around friendship and how you guys cook together. Yeah, right. And I have some really good friends who have some great cookbooks and they work with chefs and, you know, they're they're thanked, obviously, profusely in the book, but they're not on the cover. They're not like it's not written by them. I really wanted this book to be written by Julie and I, and I wanted her on the cover. I wanted her to be present throughout the entire book because it is what you just said. It's about our it's about our friendship. And um, that's, you know, the, I, it's a very unique cookbook in that that way. It's it's not only two different people's histories and two different people's perspectives and two different people's skill sets. You know, she, I have pieces of the book that are, are dedicated to the stuff that she's taught me. Uh-huh. But, you know, to actually be told in two different voices is, I think, pretty unique. Yeah, I'm curious how you sort of balance that as the two of you are writing this, because it does flip back and forth between your two perspectives. Sometimes we get a joint perspective, but you know, you'll on one page, you'll have a story about how you discovered the concept of blue corn from Pocahontas. And then you flip to the next page. And it's like, Julie writing about legendary chef Frank Sitt from her home state of Alabama. Like, how did you sort of, and it, and it really works, like it flows so naturally, and yeah. both of your perspectives are in there. But what was that process like for you? Uh, it was, you know, we both are much, di- we're both very different writers. I- I've written a lot of essays and I've been published in a few magazines and newspapers. And so I'm used to like consolidating my thoughts to a few paragraphs and being concise and humorous. And Julie, 
um, wax is poetic, which is great, but she overwrites and like she would turn in these head notes for things that were like four pages long. So I would, you know, it was an opportunity to also edit, you know, her writing and infuse, I would, you know, sometimes punch up a, a line here or there just so that there wasn't, it didn't feel like whiplash. Like you don't want to turn the page and be like, this doesn't feel like the same book. We wanted it to feel very cohesive, but also those stories and mine tend to be a little funnier than hers and hers are more like i think culinary driven in a lot of ways you know but i do feel like that's also giving the reader an insight to our personalities and the banter that we have in the kitchen so um i hope that i mean we said when we in the introduction you know we hope that when people read this book they feel like they have new two new friends and we really want them to get a true understanding of our our character yeah, and, and you really bring both your own culinary influences, yours from your New Mexico childhood, hers from her Southern childhood. How have you sort of, from your perspective, how has your approach to like food and cooking changed as you've cooked alongside her now for, I think, like seven years now you've been cooking with each other? About that, yeah. Um, I just feel like there's more confidence. Um, I also have been, I, I, I'm such a, good student i i when i see a recipe i follow i follow it exactly how it's written if i don't have something i worry about it and i've learned to let go of all that and to like really truly use recipes as um just sort of a guide and and you know embellish and extract how i see fit and you know i've i've used teaspoons and measuring spoons that's much less now and i really try and measure with my palate which is something all of my friends who are great chefs have um always done i remember Padma lakshmi was at my house um, for the emmys one year and she stayed with us for for the week and we were cooking together and i was making a, a chimichurri for her and i was like looking for a recipe and she's like no 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 it's just this 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 and i was so nervous that i was gonna over season or under season and um, but it, it, it showed me that, you know, it's, it's very hard to mess up. I mean, unless you're like going overboard on salt, I think it's pretty hard to mess up things in the kitchen. So Julie did that yeah. taught me, you know, that it's okay to run without the training wheels. Yeah, that's a great lesson. Uh, and one that I think a lot of home cooks take a long time to, to realize Yeah, you're, you're such a funny writer, which I think is, you know, not surprising, but I don't know if folks would have imagined that your first book would be a cookbook. How did that feel to you? Like, I think folks might think you write a memoir or some essays or something. And, and that this is sort of your yeah. first major published book. Yeah. How does that feel? It's interesting. I actually toyed with the idea of doing a, a book of essays that were maybe sort of also a memoir. Um, and I just had a, an intense sense of writer's block. And um, truly I feel the reason that this was my first book was because Clarkson Potter approached us and asked me to do it <laughs> uh-huh. um, because I don't, you know, it takes someone pushing you into the deep end to like actually realize that you can swim. And um, I, I don't know if I would have pitched a cookbook as aggressively as they came after me. So, sure. And I think for anybody who's writing a, f- a cookbook for the first time, you have no idea what you're getting into. Were there things that really surprised you or lessons that you really took away from this process? Um, just how many, you know, and I hope I own a ton of cookbooks, so I shouldn't be surprised by this, but just how much work goes into it, not just, you know, developing recipes, but you really do have to have those head notes really have to have a personal spin to them and they have to have heart. And, um, they can't just sort of say that this is, you know, this is white fish with some 
herbs on it. Like you got to explain why you're doing it. And it's like, you really have to dig deep as to why you decided to include this recipe in your cookbook. And I just felt like it was nonstop homework for two, for two years. And I guess when you're, when you're thinking about writing a cookbook, you're thinking about, you know, developing recipes and writing that down what you put into the pot and call it a day. But it's, right. uh, it's a lot. And then you have to like write an introduction to the book and, you know, to explain to the reader, like why you wanted to write this book. And that alone is like, well, you start questioning yourself, like, why do I want to write this book? And it's, yeah. it's, it was a lot more emotional than I thought it was going to be. We'll be right back with the second part of our conversation with Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Don't go anywhere. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram at Salt and Spine. This week, you'll find a chance to win your own copy of Food Between Friends by Jesse Tyler Ferguson and Julie Tannis. You'll also find featured recipes from the book. Each week, we love sitting down with another of your and my favorite cookbook authors to tell the stories behind cookbooks. From Jacques Pepin and Nigella Lawson to Samin Nostrat and Carla Hall to today's guests, Jesse Tyler Ferguson and Julie Tannis, Salt and Spine is the leading podcast featuring interviews with your favorite authors. Plus, we publish delicious and exclusive recipes, hold cookbook giveaways for listeners like you, and so much more. Plus, the Salt and Spine Cookbook Club, where we cook along with one of our favorite authors each season. Salt and Spine truly brings cookbooks to life, and we can only do it thanks to listeners like you. You can join the Salt and Spine community today and support our effort to bring you top-notch interviews and the best cookbook content starting at just $2 a month. Find out more and join the Salt and Spine community at patreon.com backslash salt and spine. Hey there, listener. Do you have something to say? Then you're already a podcaster. You just don't know it yet. Whether you love to shoot the breeze with friends, have an urge to share your passions with the world, or even want to grow your business, you've got something worth saying with a podcast. With Acast, it couldn't be easier to start your own show. Launch, grow, and make money from your podcast across all listening platforms. If you have something to say, you're a podcaster. Head over to Acast.com to get started for free. And now back to our conversation with Jesse Tyler Ferguson, author of Food Between Friends. Do you have, this is such a loaded question, but do you have favorite recipes from the book? I know it's a, a really personal book for you too, because there's a lot of influence from your, your life here. Yeah. It's a two part question. And one, and one part I love, there's recipes that I love just because I love the recipes, like the, the green chili chicken enchilada pot pie is one of my favorites. Um, yeah. And then other recipes mean something to me because there's a story behind it. Like my, um, my mom's camping chili that she would make for us before we go cut Christmas trees. Like that actually is one of the yeah. last notes in the book because it's a story about going Christmas tree cutting with my dad and eating the, the chili that my mom made for us. Cause she wanted to stay home and basically have mom's day at home, which makes right. wine in a bathtub. Um, <laughs> yeah. A lot of other recipes that are my favorites because there's something that Julie taught me about there's a lot of the recipes with sorghum i have a deep fondness for because it reminds me of her and it's something i didn't know anything about you know three years ago you you write a little bit in the book too about um i think it was maybe a gift from your mother-in-law this apron that says jesse stewart on it is that right am i getting that right I feel like we all have a, a Martha story, right? I mean, um, there's some sort of connection that everybody has to Martha Stewart. I'm wondering if there are other authors or cookbooks that have been particularly influential to you. We're obviously a show on cookbooks, so we always like to know where folks draw inspiration. Melissa Clark's books uh, always seem to be really reliable. I love Chrissy Teigen's books. She, I looked at her books a lot as a 
template because she's hilarious and she's a friend yeah. of mine. So I was able to sort of ask her follow-up questions, but I just felt, you know, she's a celebrity. People were kind of probably um, wary of her first cookbook and it's just packed with so much flavor and originality. And so I really looked at her book as an inspiration for like, not only the the humor, but also like the way she approached the photography of the book. And um, so I, yeah. I use her book a lot, actually. I really like Gwyneth Paltrow's cookbooks because they're super easy and really healthy. Um, you know, Ina Garten's always someone I, I really go to. Uh, the Nom Nom Paleo cookbook, yeah. when we're trying to eat healthy, is, is her, I mean, her recipes are just fantastic and so easy and original. And um, we go to that one a lot. Um, what else? Um, those are like the, those, those are the big ones that are in rotation right now. Um, Padma Locke's yeah. book, I really do love. Those are those are great picks, and that prompts me to think about the fact that you you have become such a name in the food industry too. I mean, folks know you from your acting career, but did you envision when you started taking more of an interest in cooking and becoming a friend with Julie and cooking together that you would not only be publishing a cookbook, but like you've hosted the James Beard Awards, I think twice now. Like you've sort of become a, a figure in the food industry too. Did you anticipate that, and what does that sort of mean for you? No, I didn't anticipate it at all. And I, um, it means a lot to me, first of all, that they asked me to host the James Beard Awards, not once, but twice, meaning that I didn't yeah. pay the first time. But the first <laughs> yeah. time I did it, I, I don't think I've ever been more nervous because it's an industry full of people that I just really, really admire. And, you know, I, I love, I love learning about, um, chefs and like Chef's Table is one of my favorite shows that I've ever seen on television. Like I just, I devour that series and, you know, I just, I'm so impressed and in awe of, of people who can do that. And so I really wanted to honor them and I wanted to show up at the James Beard Awards and, you know, give them the, the night that they all deserve. Um, but, you know, there's also this like crazy feeling of like imposter syndrome, like, you know, the, the past hosts have been, you know, very big players in the food industry. And, you know, here I am an actor from Modern Family who like has a cooking blog and, you know, so I was, I was nervous. I was really nervous. So I just thought, well, if nothing else, I just have to do a really good job so that they know that, you know, they're in good hands. Um, but yeah. I never envisioned that that would be something that, that I would do. I mean, you know, I've got to host like on, uh, I got to be a judge on beat Bobby Flay and, um, you know, stuff like that. It's, it always blows my mind that they consider me to be part of their world in whatever small way. Yeah. Yeah. You're also a new parent. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, I know, I know your child is not quite eating your great meals yet. Um, but I'm wondering if it is, if it has impacted how you think about food. I think many of us, when we become parents, start to think about food in different ways. One, like having a newborn is a lot of work. And then beyond like the early childhood stage, how things can evolve too. Yeah. I mean, I just, my biggest hope and dream for Beckett is that he has, a varied palate. Like I want him to be able to eat. I want him to, to be an adventurous eater. Um, and so yeah. that's, I'm doing a little bit of reading on how I like to, you know, encourage that. There's so many great companies now that create really delicious baby food. That is not just like a puree of one thing. They're mixing right. their blends and there's light spices in there. Um, you know, some cinnamon here and there. And he seems to be really responding to all, all the stuff I'm giving him. And even if he, has like a reaction to like spinach for the first time. He sees it through and tries it because it's sort of like the only option at that moment. And so that really, yeah. I'm, I, I'm excited by that. And I also yeah. try all the food that I give him. 
which is, uh-huh. I, I, it, it tastes good. It's like, it's actually really, really fresh. And so it, it's, if nothing else, like, cause I just assumed I would be making baby food. I'd, I'd buy one of those machines and just right myself. But I feel like I, why this stuff's so good and it's so great and it's organic and it's, you know, comes, you can order it to your house and it comes frozen and you just pop it in the freezer. I was like, I think I'm good for a while, but I can't wait to yeah. start cooking for him for sure. Yeah. I think you've got the right approach. I had one of the machines um, when my daughter was young and it's like, it's all, you're like finding mold everywhere and you have to clean it religiously. It's yeah. just like, yeah, yeah, they have great companies these days. Well, we always end with little games. So I thought we would play a fun game since we're going to talk to you and Julie separately, where we're going to do sort of like a blind chopped type competition. So we've got these um, cards that we use that have ingredients on them. So we'll draw draw cards for you. Um, and that'll be what you have to work with. And we'll pretend Julie's coming over for dinner and you'll tell us what you might make for her um, oh, using that, in- that set of ingredients. How does that sound? <laughs> Let's see what happens. All right. So we've got four types of cards, vegetables, uh, proteins are self-explanatory flavors are, um, spices and herbs, that sort of thing. And then the final deck is a stack of secret ingredients, which can be sort of, more obscure ingredients or just just a random pick so we'll do one of each um all right so for vegetable we have onion Mm. that's nice protein is tofu oh flavor is cilantro and let's pick a secret ingredient from the middle of the stack here oh okay i i think you're gonna like this one because i know julie has a good nickname the secret ingredient is molasses oh my god (laughs) <laughs> what are the odds? I honestly do that randomly from the middle there. Oh no, I don't know what to do. Um, okay, that's hard. Yeah, this is hard. God, and Julie is a better recipe developer than me, so she was she's gonna nail this. Um, she might critique you. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I would caramel. I don't know if this is even gonna work. This is like okay. us recipes. I would somehow caramelize the onions down with the molasses. I think that's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Probably um, it could work. I don't know. I don't know if that would work. <laughs> yeah. kind. Yeah. Um, this is all conceptual. We don't have to actually eat right, it. So. Right, right. And then um, I would uh, f- pan fry some tofu. I would toss it in like, you know, bread. And, uh, or, uh, it's like some cornstarch or something and pan uh-huh. fry it with some spices. And I would um, put that over the onions and uh, just garnish it with some cilantro. I think it's going to be right. terrible. I don't think it's good. <laughs> I think the challenge, you should specify that it does not have to taste good. <laughs> right. Let's let's do one more. I'll give you a, a second. Chance. I think you got a hard one here. Okay. Let's go with bell pepper vegetable. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Protein, we have shrimp. Okay. Flavor is garlic. Oh, this is looking good so far. All right. The secret ingredient. Oh, okay. Is fish sauce. Oh, so we're doing a stir fry. Yeah, we're that's making, an easy one. We're making a really great sauce, uh, uh, stir fry sauce with a fish sauce and soy sauce, some orange juice, some lime, mm. rice vinegar, and we're going to saute the peppers. We're going to throw the shrimp in, some garlic. We're going to throw some onions in, and maybe some broccoli. And we're going to put uh-huh. the sauce in and, and finish it off that way and have that over white rice. Delicious. There you go. Nailed that one. (laughs) Amazing. All right. Well, this was so much fun. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us on Salt and Spine. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. 
And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, part two of our conversation with Jesse's co-author, Julie Tannis, is live now as well. As always, you can find bonus content from today's show and all of our episodes on our website, saltandspine.com. There you'll find featured recipes from Food Between Friends. Remember, if you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe wherever you're listening. You can also leave us a rating on iTunes and join the Salt and Spine community and support our show at patreon.com. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan-Stewart, and our producer, Clea Worster. Our kitchen correspondent is Sarah Varney. The Salt and Spine original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Salt and Spine is typically recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen is now offering both digital and in-person classes for home cooks. You can find out more at civickitchensf.com. Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonomo, and the Civic Kitchen team, to Edible San Francisco, to Celia Sack at Omnivore Books, and Monique at Hardcover Cook. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love. 